Please be advised, this episode may include depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language that is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Lenny. And I'm Matt. And we are back. Again. Again, just for you. I'm tired. Don't be tired, babe. I am tired. It's been a long day. We watched our grandson. Did he beat us down? No, he was good, but I am tired. Yeah, he was good. He was really good. I think I'm tired because we've we're always doing something. Like we're always busy. Doing something, and yeah. I need to. I need a break, but I, we don't have one in sight. We need some rest. But sure. you keep making plans for us. Sorry. No, you're not. Sorry. Why did you commit me to go down to Texas next weekend? I didn't. Not next. Or weekend. not the weekend after. Oh, well, we don't have to. I'm. I'm not going. I don't have to do anything. But you made plans and told me we were going. Mm, sorry. Mm-hmm. So I don't get any rest, and mm. it's his fault. No. Well, we went and looked and got, well, we didn't even just look. We went and got some hunting gear. Yeah, we did. Which was awesome. I'm actually excited about it. Yeah. I'm in, I've never been hunting before. I told Matt I was going to wear my hunting gear everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we took, well, which was a smart move by you, you know, to break in your, your hunting boots or slash hiking boots, which I know you plan on taking to our upcoming trip where we go down to Broken Bow. Yep. Beaver's Bend area. Hopefully we have some more Sasquatch sightings. Yeah, that'll be good. Or fun. Mm-hmm. So that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, it'd be fun. And we got our little uh, grandson uh, some camo. Of course we did. And, looks- and then Bass Pro Shop, where we bought all the stuff, we bought him this really cool little Carhartt jacket. And they forgot to take the freaking security tag off of it. And somehow we made it through the door. So we get all the way home and I'm taking tags off his stuff and trying things on. And I get to um, our Cadence and there's a freaking security tag on it. So now Matt's going to take it back tomorrow because we couldn't go back today. But got to take it back tomorrow with the receipt and have him remove the dang security tag. Mm-hmm. Really annoying. I hate when stores do that. Yeah, me too. And worse than that, like I hate when you make it through. This is their security system, like, you know, like the little things in the door mm-hmm. with no beeping. Yeah. I'd rather it go off and, you know, signal, hey, something's still on right. something in here. Well, and then we could have checked and. While we're there. Not had gone all the way about our business. Not having to go all the way back. Yes. Like, it's not close for us. It's not close. No. Luckily, Matt said he has to go up north a little ways tomorrow anyway, so he will. 
He'll get it taken care of. But it's just annoying. It's frustrating when crap like this happens. Yeah, it'll all work out. But it would have been nice to not have to mess with it. Yeah. But that's life. That's what we do, right? I'm also hangry. I think I need to eat. I'm tired and I'm hangry. Ooh. But let's talk about serial killers. That always makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) It always makes her happy. No, not always. Well, man, that's the key, huh? I just need to talk (laughs) about serial killers to get you in a good mood? No, you need to be quiet and stop making plans for me. Okay. But don't be quiet during the podcast. I need you to talk. Okay. Deal. Deal. There it is. You're the co-host, so I need you to co-host. I wish you guys could see her smile. She's got the best smile. She's got the most beautiful smile He's trying to butter me up now because he knows I'm irritated because he keeps making plans for us to go do stuff that he doesn't talk to me about first. Is it not working? No. No, it's not working. She laughs and he he smiles. I can't. (laughs) It's still not working. I don't care what you say. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about a female serial killer this week because this world is full of male serial killers, and I feel like we need to highlight some women. <laughs> I like highlighting women. So, yeah. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, it's rare for females to be serial killers, probably because we have, a, you know, we're a little smarter. We're probably harder to catch. I bet you there are a ton of women serial killers that are active in the world today, and they're never going to get caught. They never have been caught. Like, we're just smart. But this week, we're going to talk about one that did get caught. The thing about it is, do you think in the psyche or, I don't know, psyche, but just in general, who do we look for as killers? I mean, you look to the male, typically. Yeah. I mean... Well, because so, we, we don't, we look at women as a, as nurturers, right? Nurturers. Caregivers, yeah, that kind yes, of stuff. And so we, yes. we automatically have this trust in them. They're a mother figure mm-hmm. and we don't really look at them as someone dangerous. Right. Which is a problem because we can, we can be dangerous too. Oh, most definitely. Conniving. Mm-hmm. Conniving? Yeah. No, no, that's not. Why don't you use that word for men? Now we're going to get on this soapbox. Never, huh? never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not do that. My God. I want to keep her happy, folks. <laughs> keep her smiling, <laughs> laughing. Now let's talk about the woman who was actually coined the first serial killer, female serial killer in America, Jane Topin. Okay. Yes. She's also known as Jolly Jane and an angel of death. She was... She was basically a villain long before villains had labels. Wow. Yeah, they say she was like completely obsessed with death. So, you know, serial let's killer, talk they about this like, lady. They get like dark um, uh, superhero names. No, they're not superheroes. They're, they're not superheroes. They're not heroes, but they get kind of like these superhero names in a way. BTK. The Angel of Death. The Angel of Death. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but right. no, no, not heroes. that's not. I don't want to. Yeah, no, villain, villain, villains Very have much, names, right? Very much a villain. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So anyway, Jane Topin was born on March 31st, 1854, and the name her parents gave her was Honora Kelly. I'll tell you why her name was changed in a little bit. Her family were Irish immigrants back when it was apparently not cool to be an Irish immigrant. 
Her mom was Bridget Kelly and her father was Peter Kelly. She was the youngest of four, all four girls. We know a random thing about one of the older sisters. Her name was Nellie. She ended up in an insane asylum, which will line up really well with her other family members, as you'll hear in a few minutes. Was she like the Nellie on Little House on the Prairie? <laughs> no, because she was insane. Just evil. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. They Nellie didn't get just details. got under your skin. Yeah, she, she really did. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll say that then. She was Nellie <laughs> from Little House on the Prairie. Because <laughs> we don't know anything else about her except that she was an older sister and that she ended up in an insane asylum. So. Perfect. So uh, Jane's mom was said to have died of tuberculosis, and her dad was said to be a raging alcoholic, very abusive, eccentric, and his name was his nickname was Kelly the Crack, like Kelly the Crackpot. Okay. Which was, yeah, I don't know. Kelly the Crack. <laughs> was that my Scotland? I, it wasn't Irish? I, I don't, don't know. I think that I was, was Irish at really all. hard. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. So, yeah, the insane thing about her dad was that uh, he was actually said to be insane. Oh. <laughs> I know. Whoa. Yeah, he was a clothing tailor. And rumors had started going around about him being crazy, and that's why he drank so much and was abusive because he didn't have any other outlet for his insanity. Mm. But this illness that he had ended up making him, while he was at work one day, he sewed his own eyelids closed. Which is crazy. I know. I know. I'm bored. Let me just sew my eyelids shut. I'm not selling much right now. Yep. But before he did all that to himself, in 1863, a few years after his wife died, he took his two youngest kids to the Boston Female Asylum, which was an orphanage for poor female children. The two kids were eight-year-old Delia and six-year-old Honora, Jane. And after he took them to the orphanage, he never saw them again. So basically, he dropped these girls off and just walked away. Yeah. Which was probably, you would think that was for the better. But the notes that were found in the asylum records about the girls said, quote, rescued from a miserable home, end quote. So wow. it makes you like wonder, I mean, you know, he dropped them off, but why did they put rescued from a miserable home? Yeah. Were they just trying to? CYA. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird. No, there's no other records about their stay that were found, though. So no one knows what they might have actually gone through while they were staying in the Boston Female Asylum. It is known, however, that the orphanage would train these girls to be well-mannered young ladies. And then when the girls turned 10, they would be placed with either adoptive or foster families. And keep in mind, though, it was an orphanage, and those, by definition, don't have a great reputation. So I'm sure that it's safe to assume that Delia and Honora had it pretty rough while they were in there. We do know that Jane was fostered out when she turned 10 as an indentured servant to a widow named Anne Topin. And she changed Jane's name from Honora to Jane so that she wouldn't sound so Irish. Her foster family told friends and neighbors that she was from an Italian family whose parents had died at sea. And they did this to avoid the stigma that surrounded Irish immigrants at the time. And all of this is said to have possibly triggered her own mental instability at a young age. Um, Her sister Delia, however, was sent out to the streets to be a prostitute when she was of age. because And she wasn't fostered out. And that was because she got there when she was eight, so they didn't feel like they had time to train her up. Hmm. So two years and you're, you're on the street. Okay. So you're out the door. 
and she had to buy 10 years old. And so she did what? That's horrible. I know. I know. My goodness. So while Jane was fostered with the Topins, she attended school with, with the other kids and she did well. And the other kids I'm talking about in here are, are Anne's actual birth children. She was smart. She had a lot of friends. However, she was also known to be a compulsive liar. She would tell a lot of stories about how successful and accomplished her birth family had been. And she showed signs of sociopathy, which is defined as having an antisocial behavior, lying, manipulation, aggression, and a lack of empathy for others. So after she graduated high school, Jane was freed from her indentured servanthood when she turned 18 and she was paid $50, but she had nowhere to go. So she opted to stay as a maid in the Topin household until Anne passed away and Anne's daughter got married and moved away. The funny thing is that Elizabeth, Anne's daughter, was very good to Jane, and she treated her better than Anne even treated her. And they actually treated her pretty well, but Elizabeth would later become one of Jane's victims. Oh, that sucks. I know. They stayed in contact with one another, and they would often have lunch together or attend social events together. But when Jane moved out, she had to find a place in the world for herself. And so at this point... Not having any other options, she decided to become a nurse because that's what women do who aren't married hmm. back in the 1800s. Okay. That or prostitution. You know well, what I mean? Like it's the alternatives. That's horrible. Right. Well, you women didn't have very many options. Or... I mean, there were things they could do other than nursing, but nursing was like the thing yeah. to really take care of yourself, I guess. So the next records that were found about Jane Topin was that she began training to be a nurse at Cambridge Hospital in 1885. She was well-liked, very popular. She had a ton of friends, and she even earned the nickname Jolly Jane because she was she had a very good temperament and was just said to be a jovial person. She was known as one of the best nurses in the hospital, and the patients loved her. She had a great bedside manner. No one knew she had a dark side and that she was planning to let that dark side come out on her patients. Which is wild. I know. Just to be one, I mean, just one degree where everybody likes you. You've got all these friends. Mm -hmm. She was very well liked. You get a nickname because (laughs) of who you are. Right. Jolly. Great bedside manner. Well, they said she was very bubbly. Like everyone has, I'm sure everyone has ran into that bubbly person, that cheerful person that nothing brings them down. Well, watch out for them. Right? That's all I'm, that's what I was about to say. If you're too happy, too bubbly. You might be evil. You might want to tone it down (laughs) because people will think you're Jolly Jane when you start hearing all this. Right? Yep. Okay. So many of our fellow nursing students though did not like her. When they're talking about popularity and stuff, they're talking about with admin and with doctors and stuff like that. But people who actually worked right next to her, they didn't actually they actually didn't like her. They knew she was a compulsive liar. They uh, they looked at her as a as a gossip. She gossiped a lot and they caught her stealing from patients several times. And they reported this stuff, but nothing okay. was ever confirmed or done. Nursing supervisors became concerned about her obsession with autopsies and any of Jane's surviving patients seem to have no memory of their treatment when she was when they were questioned about it which Hmm. also concerned her supervisors so they started seeing things slowly which you'll probably get into but how would they not know like anything well it was 1800s okay but yeah they don't have cameras they don't have sure you know like oh i get what you're saying so it's the 1800s like you can get away with everything there (laughs) yeah The thing that was going well for Jane, though, was that the patients did love her. her. 
And patients' families loved her. Like, they all just kind of like, this woman is amazing. She also had the doctors completely fooled. Like, they believed she was an amazing nurse. They And doctors rule everything in a hospital, right? Right. So if they're like, oh, no, I want Jane, guess who you get? You she, get Jane. She had a good front. Mm-hmm. So before we get into her crimes, I just want to tell you, she was known as the angel of death, and she's not the only one in history to have this label. An angel of death is what people call the killers who become their patients' caretakers and then kill them. Gotcha. That's what an angel of death is. So she earned that nickname after she, it was discovered what she it was, was doing. a little moniker. Mm-hmm. So there have been, like, I think they said, like, 40 other angel of deaths over the years uh-huh. all around the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. So she's not the only one that isn't like her name or whatever, but she is the first one to to have it. Okay. So she would get close to her patients, pick her favorite ones, and sort of claim them as her own and become their primary caregiver when she was working at the hospital. She would change their, their patient charts and falsify medical records to make her patients have to stay in the hospital longer. Patients that... um the patients that she would claim were typically elderly and very sick. She had strong feelings toward elderly patients saying that she thought they were useless and not worth keeping alive. Like she said this stuff to people and no one said, well, why are you treating them then? Yeah. She would use these patients as guinea pigs for her own experiments that involved morphine and atropine. Uh, morphine is a painkiller and atropine is used in eye exams um, and to treat eye, eye conditions, but it's a really potent... Um, uh, like opium, mm-hmm. opioid, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, she would take the prescribed doses of their medications and alter them to see what would happen to their nervous systems. Like hmm. she was messing. What, yeah. What was she getting at? Like, what, I wonder what her research. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, what is she trying to find? She was just trying to kill him. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. She would spend a huge amount of time alone with her patients. She made up fake charts and would medicate them to make them drift in and out of consciousness, which is also why some of some of them didn't remember the treatment because oh, she would. They're so sedated. Yeah. Okay. And then she was even known to get in bed with them and snuggle them while they were convulsing and dying oh, of the poison. My God. Yeah, yeah. She later admitted to killing a dozen patients when she was a student nurse by poisoning them with drug overdoses. Some she even poisoned enough to make them very sick. Then she would nurse them back to health, like a miraculous recovery type thing. Okay. And then kill them again. Oh. Or or kill them, period, after she got them healthy again. That's weird. I know. She was basically playing God in that way. Uh, Yeah. Just that power. Yeah, yeah. But she was considered such a good nurse that she graduated with honors, and again, everyone loved her. So she was recommended for the prestigious Massachusetts General Hospital in 1889, but she was fired a year later. when She was, she had killed several more people with her experiments, and they fired her. <laughs> like, like, you just fired her? That's yeah. all you did? But after she was fired, she returned to the Cambridge Hospital that she trained at, but she was soon fired again for giving opiates to patients without prescriptions or out of schedule. And I also read another article where it said it wasn't just patients that she was giving opiates to. She was giving them to whoever asked for it. Patients, really? family members, whatever. Really? She was just handing it out like candy. Like, here oh, you go. Man. I'm a drug dealer now. <laughs> she would have been awesome in like in the year 2000, <laughs> these later 2000s with the opioid crisis. I know. No questions asked. Here you go. Man. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So after this, though, she started a private nursing career. And she was doing very well, even though she, there were a handful of complaints about petty theft. Her nursing was said to be amazing, and people loved her. She was even recommended by doctors from Massachusetts General Hospital to the wealthier clients to help her find work. She was even, or sorry, this newfound freedom seemed to unleash her monster, though. Her yeah. real, yeah. what was going on inside her. She didn't have any other nurses or doctors watching over her. There were no hospital rules to follow. And she just started doing her own experiments without any fear or worry of getting caught. So now, now that she's out in the private, like she probably would have been better to keep her or to take her nursing license, but everyone loved her, right? So this led to not only killing patients, but also people she had a problem with. So in 1895, Jane started poisoning people she had disagreements with or vendettas against. So she stopped just doing her patients. She killed her landlord, Israel Dunham, and his wife. He deserved it. <laughs> Several stop I'm just it. kidding. I don't know. Several years later in 1899, she killed her foster sister, Elizabeth, with a dose of strychnine. I'll get into detail on okay. some of this. Hmm. In 1901, she moved in with an elderly man and his family after his wife passed away to help take care of him. The man's name was Alden Davis, and it was later found out that she was his wife's nurse as well and had killed her. Then moved in as a sort of savior caretaker type thing. And a few weeks after moving in with the family, she killed Alden, his sister Genevieve, and two of his daughters, Minnie and Edna. Wow. Yeah, she was on a roll with that family. So the surviving members of his family ordered a toxicology exam on Alden's youngest daughter, Minnie, because it didn't make sense for her to have died when she was considered to be young and healthy. She was about 40 years old, but... She was considered to be fairly healthy. So they really were like, why would she have passed away? What was going on? So, mm-hmm. And she was found to have been poisoned. And this drove police to actually start investigating Jane. So she was arrested for murder on October 29th, 1901. And a few months later in 1902, she had confessed to 31 murders. But in the end, only 12 were confirmed. Her known victims were Israel Dunham, who died on May 26, 1895 at age 83. Lovely Dunham, who died on September 19th, 1897, at age 87. Elizabeth Brigham, who died on August 29th, 1899, at age 70. Mary McNear, who died on December 28th, 1899, age 70. Florence Calkins, who died on January 15th, 1900, age 45. William Ingram, who died on January 27th, 1900, age 70. Sarah Connors, who died on February 11th, 1900, age 48. Maddie Davis, who died on July 4th, 1901, age 62. Genevieve Gordon, who died on July 31st, 1901. Alden Davis, who died August 8th, 1901, age 64. Mary Dave, Minnie Davis, who died on August 13th, 1901, age 40. And Edna Bannister, who died on August 26, 1901, at 77. Some say she killed for 20 years between 1880 and 1900, and some of them were said to have been her friends. And we know most were her patients, but the ones that she actually was charged with were the ones I just listed. Okay. So during her trial, she was able to convince the judge and jury that she was insane. And in 1902, she was actually found not guilty of anything wrong. Whoa. However, after this not guilty verdict, she felt safe. So she told her attorney that she had killed over 100 people. Oh, my goodness. And so a new trial was immediately scheduled and she was detained and she was found guilty this time. 
and sentenced to life in an asylum, in an insane asylum. Okay. So that lawyer is like, no. Nope, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm yeah. She was silent not silent on this. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully. So when she first showed up at the asylum, she refused to eat because she was afraid her food was being poisoned. And the newspapers actually made fun of this, saying it was an ironic revenge that she was so paranoid about being poisoned right, herself, right. which I find funny, too. Yeah. She also went on to tell her attorneys and psychologists that her urge to kill was driven by her ability to get to care for her victims. She got off on being able to watch them die, hold them, kiss them while they were dying. These were thrills for her. It might have been a long time before she had been caught, except that she basically killed the entire Davis family in a matter of weeks. If one or two of them had died, that probably wouldn't have drawn any attention, but she killed five of them. Yeah, she couldn't help herself. Right? She was in this asylum. She was in this asylum locked up and still had these urges to kill, which makes sense because most people don't just lose the urge to kill, Right. right? But she would ask her caregivers to kill with her. Really? She would yell down the hall things like, bring me the morphine. We'll have so much fun killing them. Oh, my God. So, like, could you imagine? Yes. Yeah. According to the Los Angeles Herald, she told a doctor at the asylum she was serving her sentence at, quote, I seem to have a sort of paralysis of thought and reason. Something comes over me. I don't know what it is. I have an uncontrollable desire to give poison without regard of the consequences, end quote. She was also noted by the Washington Post to have said, quote, my ambition is to have killed more people, more helpless people than any man or woman has ever, who has ever lived, end quote. She was also noted to have said that her killing spree had begun when she was 16 years old after her boyfriend had broken up with her. She said if she had been married, she wouldn't have, be- she wouldn't have become a murderer. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, really? <laughs> yeah, I got to be a good wife. I can't be killing people. Yeah, I guess I mean, so. Come on. Maybe that was the logic back right? then. She also told police how she killed her foster sister, Elizabeth, who she was close friends with. She said she packed a picnic lunch for the two of them. The lunch was corned beef, taffy, and mineral water. And Jane had laced the mineral water with strychnine, which had become Jane's new favorite poison to play with. She said Elizabeth drank the water and died there in Jane's arms on the beach. She said, quote, I held her in my arms and watched with delight as she gasped her life out. End quote. Man. Yeah. She said she did this because she wanted to marry Elizabeth's husband, but he rejected her, so she actually poisoned him too. Well, good. But, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but then nursed him back to health trying to win him over. But oh. it backfired on her, and he kicked her out of the house after that. Oh, but then she didn't get any revenge. No. Nope. Uh-huh. So then she poisoned herself, landing herself in the hospital, but she recovered, and when she did, this is when she found out she was being investigated for the murders of the Davis family. According to the Journal of Forensic Psychiatry and Psychology, if a female serial killer fits into a certain role and they usually kill for money or power. And in a caregiver's position, this gave her the opportunity for both. And the people couldn't fight back. They were elderly and ill and she was getting paid to care for them. So Jane fits this profile and there's a speculation that the lies from her childhood and her family history of mental illness, along with the need to care for others, which actually turned out to be the best way for her to kill others all fed into her need to kill, period. Like, she took it as a way to get away with it. Hmm. She did admit to getting some type of sexual gratification from watching people who were close to death, too. And this submission was enough for the jury to convict her in 27 minutes at the end of her trial. It took them no time to be like, yes, she's she's crazy. She done it. And we're not going to keep this lady. Okay. 
Yeah, she died in 1938 in the asylum at the age of 81. When she died, the media brought the story back to life and started calling her America's first mass murderer, which is sort of funny considering we know she isn't, but media called her that, you know, because yeah, why not? It's media, right. we're dramatic, but that is the story wow. of Jane Topin. Well, she lived a really full life. I mean, she got to make it to her 80s. <laughs> she did get to make it to her 80s. Yeah. Most of that spent in, and like 40 years of that was spent in a, an insane asylum, but yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, she's probably was fine. <laughs> Just yelling down the hallway saying, hey. Bring the morphine. We'll can, have fun together. Right, let's yeah, just let's do a little let's... cocktail and <laughs> you can juice these people up and watch well, them well, mix... die. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just couldn't even imagine having a patient yelling that at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. A but... former nurse, too. Like, yeah. can you can you they say nurses and doctors are like the worst patients anyway. Because of their knowledge of yeah. medicine yeah. and all that kind of right. stuff. But but could you imagine having an insane nurse who is a murderer on your insane asylum floor yelling at you to bring the morphine so you guys can go and kill some patients together on your floor? What if you had had enough and you actually took her up on it? Right. <laughs> like, like, I bet you could get away with that in the 1800s. You, One yeah. or two patients? Right. Yeah, come on, Jane, let's go. Yeah, you could probably yeah get away with a couple here and there. Oh my gosh, that's a terrible thought. But I wonder if that happened. Because it, it would be hard to take care of crazy people. Yeah. What's wild is just her, I don't know, just going that route. I mean, I know she had a, a rough up first, you know, upbringing, but then it seemed like the family that took her in, like you said, had treated her pretty good. Yeah, I mean, she was an indentured servant yeah. fostered by right, them. But right. So she's basically a free maid in the house mm. who gets, you know, room and board and food she's like, and clothing and an education. I mean, I guess they took care of her yeah. and she had to work for it, though. That's the thing. Like yeah. she, had to, she had to do her part. And then she was set free. They gave her 50 bucks, which is probably a lot in 1800s. You know, to go and start somewhere new, but she opted to stay. So I can't imagine that they treated her bad. Was it, yeah, it wasn't that bad, or unless right. you were just so used to it. Right. True. Yeah, you were kind of like, oh, oh. There's really not any like details because it's so old. Yeah. There's like no information, no real information. You can dig up some stuff, but it's not, it's not enough detail to add much to the story. Yeah. She wasn't abused or anything. She was by her father. They said he was very abusive to all of them. I don't know why he gave the youngest two away and kept the older two. Yeah. But we know Nellie ended up in an insane asylum, and I don't even know the first name of the oldest. One of the older two were just, they're older, so easier to, they're almost out the house. Here. Maybe, and maybe they took care of everything for him, like, yeah. you know, the cooking, the cleaning and stuff. Right. But they couldn't take care of the two younger girls, so he just dropped them off. I don't know. Yeah. But he was insane, too. So yeah. did Thang Eyelid shut. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah. Sew your own eyelids closed. Just yep. this whole thing that, is a genetic thing, you know, too. When that stuff's running in, that's what I was gonna part say. Of your blood. Uh, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This whole thing is crazy, but the crazy was in the family to begin mind. with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It wasn't new. It's not like she went crazy. It's not like she got mistreated to become a serial killer. She was just already there. Yeah. It can't. She came by it naturally. Yeah. 
Well, there's those mannerisms and things that people do that have never even met their, like, say, biological family member, mm-hmm. but they have that stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, it is a genetic. I think, too, you're a product of your environment. Right. As well. The um, whole nature versus nurture thing. We talked yeah, about this. Yeah, think, some things are genetic. They are biological. I think so, for sure. Like my youngest daughter, Avery. Matt adopted her when she was five, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and her bio dad didn't want to have anything to do with her from the time I got pregnant, which was fine. Which I mean, when I, I mean, I was like with I w- Avery at how many months? Six old? months old. Matt's yeah. been around her since yeah. she was six months old. He is her dad in every way. But there are things that Avery does that I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks like bio dad. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Like, right. I don't say that to her. I'm sure she knows. Mm-hmm. But it just, there will be like certain expressions on her face or something. I'll be like, oh my goodness, that just reminds me of him. Mm -hmm. So there are biological things out there that you can't control. It's just going to happen. Right. But I think most of us learn from the environment that we're in. I think the environment, I think the genetics, but then again, there's a choice that you make. There's always a choice. But... I would say that choice is probably could be pretty hard with that environment that you've been given and or that genetic uh, predisposition that you've been given as well. Mm-hmm. Can definitely make it extremely hard to not do something that you shouldn't be doing. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, so, yeah. and it's, I know it's not an excuse, but it sure is definitely um, something to, to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that's our story. Yeah. So for le- Miss Jane, crazy ass Topin. Heck yeah. <laughs> well, let us know what you think about this angel of death. And you can contact us at wickedness true crime at yahoo.com. You can also check us out at our website at wickedness true crime and the unknown.com. It's always a tongue, so much to say. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at wickedness true crime and check us out on anchor at anchor.fm slash wickedness, where you can also lend us your support. If you feel like it, by clicking on that support button. Cha-ching. And last but not least, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so we can get more podcasts out to more people. More podcasts out to Yeah, more podcasts. <laughs> so we can or, get our or podcasts. More, more, so yeah. <laughs> Whoops. More, we want to get more podcasts out to more, more people. More podcast episodes of ours <laughs> out to more people, and you won't miss an episode. How about that? So mm-hmm. thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week, and goodbye. Bye.